0: Let's go. All right, everybody. It is 11 o'clock. And uh, you have tuned in to the October 9th Affordable Housing Advisory Board meeting in Zoom. My name is Monty Sokup. Are you, ho- are you hot? I mean, I can hear you, but. Yeah, I think I'm hot. Uh, my name is Monty Sokup. I'm the current chair. Um, we're going to have Leah read kind of the rules of engagement here for the meeting and then I'll take roll and we'll get right underway because we have a long, a lot on the agenda today and a lot of important material to cover. So I wanna keep us, try to keep us on track. So if I'm pushy, please forgive me in advance. <laughs> thank you, Leah.
1: All right, thank you, Mr. Chair. Good morning, everyone. I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I'll make a few notes on public comment. When the chair calls for public comment, Individuals attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. The podium can be raised or lowered, and we encourage you to use this feature to encourage to ensure that your comments are heard individuals participating via zoom should use the raised hand function to indicate they wish to speak please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on individuals will be called on in the order they appear in the meeting host screen please state your name before speaking all comments will be limited to three minutes thank you and now i'll turn the meeting back over to mr sukup
0: thank you leah i'm going to take the role uh if you're here uh, please respond. Uh, Karen Willey. Sarah Waters. Here. Nicholas Ward. Phil Englehart. Here. Mark Bueller, Here. Christina Gentry. Here. Erica Zimmerman. Here. Dana Ortiz. Shannon Aury. Here. Thomas Howe. Here. Trent Santee. Monty Sokup, here One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We have eight members present, which would be a quorum. So, we will continue on with the meeting. Um, I wanted to note that we have two, uh, before we open it for public comment in person or online, we have two written public comments. One basically covered a desire for permanently affordable projects in this city as opposed to shorter term uh, affordability. And the other one uh, talked about the need for additional services, additional accessibility of affordable housing in this community and the kinds of services uh, that are, are needed by those uh, needing that assistance.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, go ahead, Thomas. I, I know in the, f- in the first one, he asked us to make a statement regarding permanence. He asked for our, our board to make, uh, mm-hmm. to, to have that as a part of our remit. Do we, uh, is there a point when we discuss that? What, what do we do about public request?
0: Um, I guess we could put that on a future agenda item at this point. I think we all uh, have talked about the need for permanent versus, you know, shorter term, we've, we've all talk to that and our uh, goals certainly point that direction towards permanently I mean, we have some specifically that talk about permanent affordable housing. Mm-hmm. I'm and, not sure that and, it's not unaddressed but we can talk about and, that and what he's
2: asking
3: for is a uh, a statement from this board.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah he,
3: he wants he wants us all to promise to do that. Yeah and I don't and I'm not do that. Gonna do
0: That's that. another discussion to have. Um, you know, I think our process is to evaluate projects on their merit as they come in. Okay. Uh, and I, you know, if we need to add that to another agenda item or a workshop, I think we should do that to talk about that. Thank you. Okay. I noticed. Uh, okay.
3: I know he tempted to come into the meeting. I'm not. I don't know anything about this, but. I had an admit and view at the bottom of my screen. And so you can look at participants and see who is in? Well, anyway. I don't know if now's the time to hear that or.
0: Yeah, so I'm gonna, at this point, since we talked about the two written comments, we're gonna open it up to uh, public comment. Uh, So if there's anybody in the room that'd like to make public comment, anybody? No one in the room. Is there anyone online that would like to make public comment? (laughs) Okay, I don't see anyone online raising their hand. I'd also like to note that Dana Ortiz joined us, so I'm gonna count her as present. Uh, Anybody, did I miss anybody? Okay, so that makes us nine members. Okay, so the next item would be to approve the minutes, the previous minutes, so I'd open the floor for a, a motion to approve those minutes. So moved. Second. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Seeing none, I'm gonna call the roll in the same order that I called earlier. Sarah Waters. Approve. Phil Inglehart.
4: Yeah. Yes. Approve.
0: Mark Bueller. Aye. <clears throat> Christina Gentry. Yes. Erica Zimmerman? Aye. Dana Ortiz. Approve. Shannon Aury. Approve. Thomas Howe? Approve. Monte Soca approve that motion passes 9-0. At this time, uh, we have, we're already one minute over our schedule. So <laughs> I am going to ask for a motion to extend the meeting 15 minutes. We currently have scheduled time to go till about one ten. 10 So I'd ask for a motion to extend the meeting 15 minutes to get through everything and then we'll go on. So
3: moved. second.
0: Okay, I have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? I would add that if you have to leave early, uh for some reason can't stay, you can do that and then view the uh discussion online uh at a later time. No other discussion, I'm gonna call the roll. Sarah Waters? Yes. Bill Engelhardt? Yes. Mark Wheeler? Yes. Christina Gentry? Yes. Erica Zimmerman? Yes. Dana Ortiz?
5: Yes.
0: Shannon Owry. Yes. Thomas Howe. Yep. Monty Sokup. Yes. Motion passes nine zero. We'll run till one fifteen today. Thank you. Okay. We are ready to receive presentations from the Affordable Housing Trust Fund applicants. I have a couple of comments. We have a couple people that will need to recuse themselves. I believe that is Shannon and Dana. Uh, anyone else, Leah, at this point?
1: Not that I'm saying, no.
3: Okay.
0: okay. So, um, a couple other notes, um, since we're tight on time, I would ask the board members to ask, if they have a question, to ask a single question, and then let other board members ask a question. So, you get one shot. If we get around everybody, we still have time, you'll get a second shot. But I just don't want you know any single line of questioning to dominate the whole conversation. And if you we can't get our questions answered, you can email your questions to Leah by the end of the day tomorrow if you have additional questions. And then Leah will reach out to the applicants and get answers to the questions and send them back to the entire group. So that would help uh, if you have following questions or you don't get a shot. Okay. All right. Uh, All applicants.
6: Dana has her hand raised. Oh
0: shoot. I am terrible at that. Go ahead.
5: Thank you very much. Um, Can I have a clarification on recusing. Um, We can just go off camera and still listen. Correct. We just can't ask questions and such.
0: That'd be correct. Okay. Thank you. That'd be correct. Thank you, Dana. Um, to the applicants, we're going to run the timer at 15 minutes. You're welcome to use. We'd love to see a presentation or whatever you're doing or whatever you want to talk about. You have 15 minutes total for us to ask questions and for you to do presentation. I'm going to be a really stickler and we're going to keep it moving and we're going to run the clock. So you'll be able to see how much time there is. And uh, I'm not trying to be mean, but we have seven or eight of these to get through today and we need to yeah. see all of them to keep on track. So I'm gonna quit talking and I'm gonna turn it over to our first presenter, uh, Matthew Falk with Bert Nash. Thank you, Affordable Housing
7: Advisory Board. I'm Matthew Falk, I'm the Director of Housing with the Bert Nash Community Mental Health Center. I have a little presentation that I will pull up here. Um, we've applied for funding to help assist with our uh, uh, supportive and rehabilitative housing project. Um, some updates to provide you about this project we have gained the site so we purchased the site and just closed on it two weeks ago Um, so we now own that property Um, this is at 2222 West 6th Street and 530 Rockledge Drive they're both contiguous where the old Ramada Inn used to be Um, this is a preliminary site plan that you're seeing here this is very preliminary um, because we just acquired the site we haven't designed it yet the project is to build 24 permanent supportive housing units Uh, those units will be permanently dedicated to affordable housing they'll be income based um, 30 percent of the area median income or lower and we are going to require those individuals to qualify for a hud or LDCHA voucher um, and we'll be asking them to utilize that voucher when they live there Um, The that's half of the building the other half of the building will be office space for Burt Nash supportive services staff Those are community-based teams who actually provide supportive services to folks like the individuals who will be residing in this building Um, Though there's a lot of teams that do that and all the teams who provide those community-based services will be located in that building as well Um, We have a timeline um, that we've kind of modified. I think that's probably the next um, Best thing to talk about we acquired the site um, the next six months we're going to finalize the designs of the building um, sometime in 2024 summer of 2024 we'll do our permitting and our hope is to break ground um, by the end of 2024 with a projected hopefully completion site or completion date by end of 2025 early 2026 so that's kind of our timeline now again this is permanent supportive housing permanently dedicated uh, for a 30% AMI any questions <coughs>
0: Looking online here, I have a question. Uh, Is it possible to break out the cost of the project that are really the affordable housing piece as Mm -hmm. opposed to what will be administrative staff? And I mean, because I think this group really looking, in my opinion, units on the ground, cost per unit is one of the things, and your cost per unit right now looks way out of whack. Yeah. So we do have that. Uh, it's ranging between
7: 150,000 to 200,000 per unit. That's okay. that's kind of the, the projection we have currently. Um, you know that as we know the market's changing and is a little, you know, vacillates. So that's kind of what we're looking at per unit.
0: Okay. Other questions? I'm looking online here. <laughs> questions? Okay, would you like to say more? We have, you have 11 minutes and I think we have our questions. You must um, yeah, so have written this, a really good proposal <laughs> to <right, so laughs> answered we, all
7: the questions. We do want to reiter, re, reiterate that this is a um, significant component of the supportive housing plank of the homeless and housing plan that is going to be coming out and will become before the city and county commissions. Um, in the Corporation for Supportive Housing uh, Needs Assessment that was conducted last year, they identified around 10 units dedicated for mental health permanent uh, supportive housing. Um, this clearly exceeds that. Um, and there's, a, of course, a larger number that's identified for folks who are homeless. So our target population is for homeless as well. Um, uh, so we're kind of ticking off some of those boxes in those plans um, as we work in part and parcel with our wider community service providers to you know, tackle that. Um, that is an aspirational plan, but you know, we as an agency see our um, niche in permanent supportive housing uh, as a, Primary supportive housing provider, that's what community mental health services do. That's what they're built to do for folks with mental health issues. Um, that's kind of our wheelhouse. So we're kind of taking ownership of that. Um, we do see this as a revenue generating um, project, and we are committed to donate to utilizing those rental revenues to fund or seed funds to continue building permanent supportive housing projects. So this is uh part and parcel to our long-term plan to build a sustainable permanent supportive housing development model. Our goal is to be able to self-sustain housing development as an agency, and as we move forward through that process to rely less and less and less on outside funding to pay for our projects. This is the first major piece of that uh, effort. And uh, we do, uh, our, our pro forma does uh, show that we, you know, we're know we going to net 80 to 100,000 a year, um, and we will dedicate 100% of that to housing development. Um, we you know we work with a lot of people for whom housing is their primary crisis and it is the primary roadblock to them being successful in getting treatment and getting traction in their mental health care. And so we want our, our plan, our vision is to um, uh, situate ourselves as an agency to, to be able to include housing as a component of treatment. So when someone comes to us with a severe mental health issue and they don't have a place to live, at some time in the future, we would like to be able to say, we can provide you a place to live while you get on your feet and while we provide care.
0: All right. One last shot at questions
4: here. I I could ask one or two. Yeah, just. Uh, Since we have extra time. Uh, I know that, that it's difficult to say in the conceptual stage, but if if you were to hazard a guess, what where would you say the four hundred and fifty k that you're asking for would actually go? If I drove by or walked by, what what would I see for four hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars?
7: Well, I think first things first, uh, site development, right? Um, but. Um, Another approach that we could take is that we will apply it to the cost of individual units. Um, So some of our other funders that we're asking for dollars from, for example, the state home ARP dollars, they're wanting to know that, like how much per unit these dollars will be spent on. So that's, I mean, there's a few ways we can approach it. I guess I wouldn't, I I wouldn't say I would lock ourselves into any, um, and I would ask uh, your guidance on what you would prefer. So if you prefer that we spend your money on a specific component of the project,
0: then that's what we'll do. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, Matthew. Appreciate it. And thanks again for submitting. All right, next on the list. <coughs> and you gave us, you know, six minutes back. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus minutes. Uh, Okay, the next is the Douglas County uh, Housing Stabilization Collaborative. Uh, Emergency rental utilities assistance and I believe we have Gabby Sprague. Gabby, you have 15 minutes.
8: Hi, board members. Um, I don't know if I can share my screen. It looks like I can. Give me one second here. All right how's that looking for folks okay great Yeah, Yeah, so my name is Gabby Sprague. I'm the Housing and Human Services Program Manager for Douglas County. Um, I'm going to be talking about the Housing Stabilization Collaborative, particularly the Rent Utility Assistance Program portion of the
1: collaborative today.
8: I want to speak a little bit to uh, the program model to kind of demystify that a little bit. We have Tier 1 assistance, which is 100% of the funding that we're using right now is under this model. Uh, It's an online application. Lotteries occur twice a month. There's an annual cap of assistance per household at $1,500 plus $100 for each dependent every year, and a household can be selected through the lottery process as many times as it takes to reach that cap. Um, In addition to the rent utility assistance, there is a small amount of supportive services um, that we're looking to build out, which I'll speak to a little bit later, where we do constant contact during the duration of assistance, Uh, the month following, we do a follow up phone call to hopefully connect the household to any additional resources they have, and a six month phone call to also do the same thing. Uh, We're also looking to build out our data collection processes. You can see a little bit of that initial work there with some of. That data. Um, Probably of note is of 214 month in the month following calls, 205 answered that they were still housed and have a lease. Uh, This is kind of a work in progress as we uh, kind of develop more into uh, doing supportive services rather than emergency assistance only. Uh, tier two assistance is something that we're looking to build out with federal funding sources and also potentially local funding sources. Uh, part of the ask made to AHAB was to try this tier two amount of assistance out. Um, this would be only available to 30% AMI or below, um, and it would be short term and medium term assistance. These are HUD definitions, um, and you could see the terms of assistance there. Uh, this would be at minimum monthly housing visits and also establishing a housing stability plan oftentimes when you're first initially getting in contact with the household the touch points would be a lot more frequent than just a monthly housing visit and we recognize that and we're looking to build that into the program Um, another benefit of doing the tier two assistance is coordination with the continuum of care the kansas homeless coalition um, kansas statewide homeless coalition who is uh runs the coordinated entry system which is how we can use federal funding uh, for rental assistance in our community. And we're looking to develop this programming further, uh, particularly in quarter one of 2024. Douglas County is partnering with the Corporation for Supportive Housing to do two uh, three-day or I'm sorry, yeah, two two two-day long trainings um, to bring all community members together or community organizations that do supportive services to develop a sort of common understanding of what best practices are for supportive services and whatever comes out of those trainings is what's going to be used to develop more this tier two amount of programming i wanted to provide a short uh little shout out i guess to douglas county i.t staff they recently created an hsc assistance tool for us this is going to greatly improve our ability to keep track of households and keep track of data Um, Our data is pretty good right now, but it can always get better, and we're looking to go after those federal funding sources that require a lot of administrative administrative requirements. Um, And we're looking to use this tool to hopefully in the future create an API or an application programming interface that would um, communicate with the homeless, I mean, sorry, the human management information systems that the Kansas Statewide Homeless Coalition uses um, using those federal funding sources. So, very excited about this tool. I want to talk a little bit about eviction data in our community and where the HSC is situated in providing supports to this. These are updated numbers for the amount of evictions that have occurred in Douglas County. Uh, These were finalized last week. Um, So this is one of the first times that I'm pushing this out to the community here. Um, So as you can see, in 2023, uh, we have 629 evictions filed. Um, And that's only through the end of quarter three, and that's more than um, in the entire year that were filed last year. Um, So I think over the course of the pandemic, we've been talking about an eviction crisis. Uh, We're here now, I think. Um, But I would say that in our community, we are pretty well situated to support folks through that. This 307 number um, of other dismissals, I would say, Uh, You can see how that number has increased slowly over the course of the last three years. And I think that's in no small part due to the successes of the Housing Stabilization Collaborative. We've been able to situate ourselves to provide emergency supports and um, bring people out of the emergency situations that they find themselves in that leads to these evictions. Uh, I would also say that we uh, Douglas County District Court recently started an eviction um, program diversion coordinator, and that person just started in the last two weeks, and we're looking to build out more of this data as we continue. Uh, I think I can't say with 100% certainty that the HSC is, um, we can contribute our successes to this number. Uh, however, I probably will be able to do that within the year. I have two points I wanna make on this slide. Uh, so there's demographic payment information that I couldn't actually fit it into the slide. It's, it's a pretty big PDF. Um, so I just linked it to a uh, publicly hosted file on the HSE website. So you all can look at that at a later date. But I would say the biggest takeaway is that um, in many HUD and census, Uh, survey racial categories, we're distributing assistance to non-white households at a greater rate than they're represented in Douglas County renter population. I think that's important because we know that these households that not white households uh, um, are at more risk of housing instability than white households. And I think we're doing a very good job of recognizing that and meeting the needs of um, non-white households in our community for that purpose. Um, I would also say that the 629 evictions filed in 2023, 45% of them are 289 ended in orders of restitution. And um, another survey that has recently come out uh, is called a tenant experience survey, uh, the sexual assault prevention work group. Uh, Um, by the care center, there's a person that facilitates that group. They distributed tenant experience survey, uh, surveying around 1,050 tenants and 73 people in that survey answered the question, if you were evicted in the last 24 months, did this end in homelessness for you? And 27% of those folks did. So if we take 27% of that 289 number that I just said, that comes out to around 76 households. I wanna talk about that in terms of Ahab's goal of increasing affordability for all households in, in the Lawrence area. Um, I would say that the HSC increases affordability uh, in two ways. One, for households individually, uh, we step in when there's an emergency and we provide supports that lead to long-term affordability. Part of, part of our supportive services model is um, getting folks additional long-term supports that contribute to long-term affordability. And another way um, that it increases affordability for our community at large is that we spend significantly more housing people once they are experiencing homelessness than if we were to just keep them in their homes. And the HSC is situated to do that. Um, We've shown over the last three years that we've been able to do that and we're only continuing. So what I would say to board members of AHAB is that we're in transition. We were born out of the emergency need of the pandemic um, to get people emergency supports um, that were needed. We had to do that fast. And we did a very good job of that. Uh, You can see here an email from Jason Fazell, who was at the time the Kansas Emergency Rental Assistance Manager. You can see he had a lot of different titles at the time. I think he has a lot less now, hopefully to his benefit. Um, But we uh, in Douglas County constitute 4.2% of the population, but we received 7.4% of the care payments uh, during the pandemic. And I think that speaks to the strength of the collaborative. We are doing great work, and there are so many people who are dedicated to doing, uh, to providing the supports that people need when they face emergency and to get them those longer term supports that they need. So um, I would say that it would be truly devastating to not receive this funding for uh, the HSC, knowing that we're kind of on a trajectory of building out even a more effective program. And this is funding that we've been using for the last three years. And I think I will leave you all with that and open it up for any questions you may have. All right. Thank, I spoke really thank you, Gabby. <laughs> then, uh, yeah, definitely ask some questions for if you have
0: them. All right. We'll open it up for questions.
4: You can go, go ahead, Phil. On on
9: I have a question. Go ahead, okay. uh, um Christina Gentry. Uh, um, thank you, Gabby and I'm going to look forward to the survey demographic or the demographic payment info that you've embedded into your um, presentation. Uh, But explain a little bit to me and give me some context uh, just for me to understand the lottery process and what is it based upon. Um, Understanding the survey of non-white households at more risk for eviction, how does that play into the lottery process when you are distributing funds to individuals?
8: We do have a prioritization process for folks experiencing, um, more at risk of experiencing uh, an eviction. Um, So that is what I will say regarding that. And so we know that these populations of folks, black and brown folks in particular, are more at risk of experiencing eviction, but we are prioritizing those households. Thus our demographic payment information is skewed in that direction, is what I will say. Thank you. Um, and just for, I guess I can look here. Uh, yeah, I won't share that. It, it's it's all in there and uh, you can take a look at it at a later date.
9: Okay, thanks, Gabby. Uh,
4: this is Phil Engelhardt. I, I have a question, and it is I've never really understood how you all treat people with previous history of incarceration with respect to housing vouchers in general. And, y- y- you know, I have never really understood that. And-, and, I'd- and I'd like to know, as quickly as you can, how, how that might work. What-, what, how much more difficult is it for that subpopulation as opposed to the larger subpopulation?
8: Um, What I would say is that we do not take a look at people's criminal history when um, we're looking to support them. We support everybody that comes through the process if they're selected through the lottery. Um, But I will say that those households do have a harder time finding housing. Um, I would say that we work with people to get them whatever supports that they need, Uh, but yeah, oftentimes there are barriers to that that are kind of out of the HSC's control. Uh, But again, we work with everybody and we try to get them the supports that they need as much as possible.
4: So just to follow up, so so they don't, they don't, they are not at a disadvantage with respect to the lottery and with respect to to being able to qualify for a housing voucher? So let me clarify.
8: um, The HSE is emergency rental assistance with supportive services that could eventually lead to a housing choice voucher. Um, The goal is to build into the program that uh, we're applying with households, helping households apply for housing choice vouchers, but we are not a voucher program in and of ourselves. So. yeah i i can't remember off the top of my head and i'm sure it's going to get mentioned today um in another presentation but um yeah we work with other programs like the housing choice Voucher as much as we can uh, in regards to people's criminal history okay thank you
0: all right one maybe time for one more question (laughs) what happens if you don't get
2: these funds
8: it just decreases the amount of people that we can serve. Um, and yeah, I think it would just be, <laughs> it, it would be disheartening to say the least to the collaborative if we uh, had to um, decrease the amount of households that we serve. Cause we already know that the amount of funding that we do have is not enough. Uh, we can see it through the numbers, we can see it in those eviction numbers that we just showed you. And I'm hoping that, again, with that eviction diversion program coordinator, uh, that person and that program can work with the housing stabilization collaborative to hopefully decrease that number as um, in the most efficient ways possible that we can with the funding that we have.
0: Thank you. All right. Thank you, Gabby. You've got 30 seconds to wrap up if
4: you want. <laughs>
8: I don't think I have anything more to say except for thank you all for doing this. Um, This is a a long meeting for you all, and I I truly appreciate the service to the community that you all provide by doing this. Thank you.
0: Thank you for making the application on behalf of HSC and your work in our community, Gabby. Thanks. All right. That concludes that presentation. We have next the Flint Hills Holding Group, LLC, East Heights Family Housing uh, Tony Kresnick. Uh,
10: thank you. My name's Tony Kresnick. Uh, I own a company called Flint Hills Holdings Group. We specialize in affordable housing here in the Midwest. Kansas, Missouri, and Iowa.
11: And I'm Marie Taylor. I am the executive director of Positive Bright Start here in Lawrence, and I am part of the child care and early education piece of this project.
10: I was asked to attend a meeting a couple of months ago um, with uh, several local stakeholders, several nonprofits, about how to solve uh, the issues that we have regarding affordable housing specific to family developments and early child care and as a group we came up with a plan for the East Heights school location that will be uh, coming up for sale here in the in the near future and we're excited about this um, I think it's fairly unique uh, to Lawrence uh, possibly even the state of Kansas um, this development is solely focused around multi-generational households uh, and developing Uh, eventual home ownership uh, for families that have children. Um, We have garages, we have um, uh, playgrounds, we have all of the services uh, that Marie's group uh, provides. Um, Right now we have been working with uh, uh, CT design and we are estimating that we will have 60 units. Uh, Most of these units will be Uh, three-bedroom units and as I stated before after the initial 15 years uh, the vast majority if not all of these units will be available uh, to be purchased uh, by affordable uh, families for affordable rates Um, currently we have uh, spectrum going all the way down to 30% of the area median income up to 70% um, and again we have two and three bedroom units Um, I'll let you talk about your space a little bit, the roughly 15,000 square feet.
11: Sure. So um, if you're familiar with Positive Bright Start, we have a number of programs in the community, two of which are early childhood classrooms that um, are very specifically focused on social-emotional development. And we tend to be the place that if children from that age of two and a half to five are getting kicked out of childcare somewhere, they'll come to us. We really value making sure that a child can be successful in this thing called school. So that piece will be part of the square footage that we're going to have on this property. We would like to serve the, the whole range of early childhood. So we'll, we'd have four classrooms, infant through preschool. We would be serving about 40 children because we do also require lower ratios to ensure that children are successful in those spaces. The second program be bringing to the community is we also provide mental health services to children five and under. And so we would be bringing that space over into this community as well. We will still be serving all of Douglas County but we would be right there in that community um, as part of creating that collaborative there.
10: I might also mention uh, we will be entering into a 15-year lease with the nonprofit. Uh, the lease rate will be one dollar per year. With the nonprofit only being responsible for their tenant improvements uh, and their uh, common area costs. Um, from an economic standpoint, real quick, um, the project's es- estimated to be $16 million, uh, Sorry, $19,630,000. We are requesting $1.2 million uh, from the City of Lawrence. Um, we're requesting uh, almost $10 million in both federal uh, affordable housing and state affordable housing tax credits from the uh, Kansas Housing Resources Corporation. Um, and uh, we are estimating at a 8.25% interest rate that the amount of permanent debt we'll be able to support is just under $3 million. And to give you, a, to give you an idea, um, if you were to take a look at eight point two five percent interest rate what is that based on um, right now uh, today 10 ten-year Treasury would probably be right around four point eight percent roughly um, the lending uh, the lending arm that we're using is actually very favorable we're 300 basis points or three percent higher than that which put, puts us today right at seven point nine percent and we have accounted for uh, 25% basis hike with just a little bit of a cushion. In hopes of not having to come back and ask for more as I will be doing here in just a few minutes <laughs> on a different project.
1: Okay.
0: Are you ready for questions? Yeah, any questions? I'm gonna open that up to everybody.
10: You count on me.
0: I know I count on you, Phil. So, okay, can I ask a questions? Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get the 62 to three bedroom units. And then you said something about 8 million of that being affordable housing. I'm trying to understand what the affordable housing component of this, how many units? Is that, is that right? I mean, 62 to three bedroom units, and then those will be affordable for 15 years, and then what happens?
10: Uh, I'm sorry, there are 60 total units. The 100% of those units are slated to be two and three bedroom units. Okay. The initial 15-year compliance period uh, for affordability uh, is intact along with an extended 15 years, just like all of our other projects unique thing about this project at the end of fifteen years we're exploring eventual home ownership for the affordable families to be able to buy their single family home or their duplex. Hmm.
0: Okay. And is there Okay. Okay. I'm gonna let no, go. you I have one question. <laughs> We'll I
4: know it's early days, but when you, when you talk <clears throat> about exploring an option to, to make this transition to permanent, you know, to home ownership, how, and, and briefly, how, how might you envision that could happen for people who are at 40 to 60% of AMI? I'm, I'm puzzled.
10: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a program that came out about five or six years ago. Um, we would work with the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation to come up with those calculations. This, unlike a lot of our projects, is not designed to be a multi family development. It's designed with single family in mind. And so we would work with the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation as to how to come up with those parameters. In terms of the functionality of a 30, 40, 50, 60% tenant being able to afford the purchase of one of their homes I believe oftentimes they would work with the local nonprofits uh, to help with that path and that's why we've engaged so many nonprofits along the way in this process Um, if it is deemed that we that the units cannot sell uh, to an affordable family they would remain affordable for the full 30-year compliance period the initial 15 and then the extended 15 Okay. So at a, at a bare minimum, these units would be affordable for for the full 30 years, just as all of our other projects are. Okay, thank you, uh,
2: Tony. I'm I'm trying to visualize what this looks like. You're you're talking about the East Heights property. That's correct. And so, does the school stay?
10: Does that building stay intact? No, they're not there. They're not there currently. No, the structure. I'm, I'm sorry. No, the one-story slab on grade structure would be raised. Okay. It is, it is a non, non-historic building. It's not on the National Registry.
2: And, and so you're going to build 60 units. What do those look like? Are they, I mean, is that similar to your other projects? Are you doing...
10: Yeah, good, good, good question. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. What I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to get a picture of what this looks like. In the approximate location where the school is, mm-hmm. there would be a small three-story building. That would have the nonprofit on the first floor, mm-hmm. common area spaces for the families and the children on the first floor, and just two levels of apartments, approximately 18 to 20 apartments. Okay. The remaining 3 acres of the site, at least the remain the usable acreage of, of the site would be almost exclusively single-family and duplex housing.
2: Okay, thank you. And, and then also you referenced a, a playground area in that. That also gets in that mix. That's part of the
10: yeah, that site plan. Right, right now we're hoping to have three playground areas, two outside, one inside. And that would be um, used with our nonprofit partner and also used within the community. We wanted to have two outside so that during hours of operation there was a, a bifurcation and separation and then and then interior space for the common areas as well, thank you,
3: Mr. Chairman. So, to finish this visual concept, there's going to be an h o a probably <coughs> homeowner association to maintain that or some sort of there's common area space for all of this kind of if I live in one of the units, I can go to the park and yeah.
10: At that, absolutely. During the initial 15-year period, though, that would be an operational expense uh, that is not paid by the HOA. That would be an operational expense that is paid by the development itself, specifically the limited partnership. At the end of 15 years, depending on the success of the eventual home ownership, you're exactly right, it would convert to an HOA.
9: Okay. Thanks. I have a question. Yeah. Um, in your, I'm sorry, did you? No, go, go. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm just going to make sure I laser focus on time. But in your um, application, you reference the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so I just kind of wanted to um, understand a little bit about what that, why that was referenced. Um, in favor also to understand what community health um, initiatives may have been in collaboration with this, because I'm assuming and I may be wrong because it's been a long time since the community health plan was meeting to talk about these outcomes of, of, of making there be affordable housing and childcare and other things that are embedded into what that looks like for our community. Um, but with Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs, I couldn't help but understand that you put that into your application, and um, the needs don't always exist in a pyramid format. So I just kind of wanted to know your your reasoning for introducing that into your application, and then. Um, how will multi-generational and ethnically diverse families be centered in the outreach aesthetic and design of this program um because i I had questions about um, your purpose of using that hierarchy of needs and then understanding that that's not really an equitable way to approach community outreach um, or affordable housing uh, and that needs assessment so i just kind of wanted to know what is it that looks actionably that's going to be ethnically diverse households and lawrence that are going to be reached in this out reach
10: yeah from a from a hierarchy standpoint we want to develop this project uh, providing tools and resources for everybody involved to succeed right Um, going all the way down from you know and I'm sorry I don't have it memorized but self-esteem down to the basics the ability to provide quality, affordable housing, shelter. From a multi-generational standpoint, from an equitable standpoint, that's what this project is based upon. It's something for everybody. I think that the uniqueness of this project, unlike a lot of our multifamily developments, is that we're really focused around the children aspect here. Um, and so from a, for, was your other question about medical?
9: No, no medical. Um, I, had, I wanted to know what does that actually look like? I mean, to, to utilize a format, I would like to see what is it that you are going to do that looks to be including ethnically diverse households and engaging those as actions into your outreach um, for the people that you are trying to build into this.
10: Yeah, I mean, just like all of our other projects, obviously, we're going to adhere to fair housing standards from an an actionable standpoint or what this will look like. We're going to be providing quality, affordable housing for people with families that have the resources where it doesn't currently exist today. So we'll have garages, we'll have small yards, we'll have multiple playgrounds. We have our nonprofit partners uh, that are bringing a lot to the table, things that I believe are unique to Lawrence, Douglas County, and many of these things that might actually be unique statewide. Do you have anything you'd like to add to that?
11: Um, also, just considering the idea that we could have childcare right in that community. So when we think about how hard it can be to have children at different ages running kids to lots of different schools, it can be tricky to get everywhere and then also get to work. That's one of the other components we're thinking about is being able to have childcare very close. Um, we currently have two classrooms in the Edgewood community that is just south of this property, and we would still also want wanting to really be serving that community as well. We would just be serving them just a little bit north of where they currently are
9: thank you
0: all right we got about a minute left any more questions looking online here want to make sure everybody's got an opportunity because i know i'm terrible at that all right you got about a minute to wrap up thank you
10: i'm open for other questions and if not that's i think we've covered it all yeah Quick one then? Yeah, we got one. We got one.
4: Ballpark. If you got sixty units, how many are gonna be in on the second and third floor of the of the three tier structure?
10: Yeah, roughly eighteen to twenty right now. Very very few. We wanna focus on uh, single family duplex, garages, small yards for the kid, for the dog. Some that's fairly, you know, unique to at least a lot of the developments we do. You know, the multifamily developments does a lot of good for a lot of people. It's uh, there's not a lot of families that live in the multifamily developments, regardless of whether or not you have two or even three-bedroom units. And so we we wanted to really pay attention to that on this development. Okay, thanks.
0: All right, thank you. It's a unique project, and we appreciate you making. that has her hand
9: raised.
0: Oh. Oh. Sarah, do you have your hand up? Do You want? Okay. okay. okay Okay. all right thank you we're on to the next application which again is Flint Hills holding group uh New Hampshire street loss a new 30-year affordable housing for seniors Tony Kresnick.
10: Uh, Thanks. I I just wanted to provide a a recap here. We are asking for uh, an additional $300,000. As a reminder, between ARPA and AHAP, the project has already been awarded and received $550,000. This application, depending on if you consider preliminary application, goes back a couple of years. Um, This is strictly an economic request, and I did want to go over a few numbers with you. Um, If you don't mind, Uh, New Hampshire lofts and Penn Street lofts are almost identical in size. Um, They're almost identical in look. Uh, They're within 2% of one another. (laughs) Penn Street lofts um, completed two and a half years ago was an $11,431,000 project. Uh, Again, New Hampshire lofts, almost identical. New Hampshire lofts, we have civil engineering work, about 60, 70% complete, structural engineering work. We have our approvals from the HRC. We have our lender approvals. We have our tax credit approvals for the initial request from the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation. We know our numbers. We're ready to go, and we hope to go by the end of the year. This project, compared to $11,431,000, is 18 million four hundred and seventy five thousand dollars that's how real inflation is nothing has changed with this project and the other project nearly identical half a mile away that's literally how much costs have jumped over the last two two and a half years wanted to give you one more statistic as well Um, penn street lofts 3.5 million dollars in permanent debt this project with interest rates 7.9% on the, perm, on the PERM loan can only support $1.9 million. And so we're before you today asking for the additional $300,000 uh, to help fund this project. Our, def- our developer fee, we have deferred our developer fee that does not show a complete repayment until year 10. We, we don't have any more room to go on this project. Uh, We believe that interest rates might go up 25 basis points or a quarter of a percent. It's probably not going to go down for at least another year, year and a half. And so we're here shovel ready, um, begging the commission to help us out with the additional $300,000. I wanted to focus on the developer fee again. The developer fees are set by the state. All a developer can do is defer as much as the tax credit investors or state will allow. The total amount of non-deferred developer fee in terms of a project cost standpoint is 3.03% on an eight, eight, $18.5 million project. Is um, a recap, because I know it has been a while since we've talked about this project, we do have 49 affordable units here. These are dedicated uh, for seniors right downtown lawrence cross street from a bus stop all of the amenities um, in the warehouse arts district probably have 100 150 people on our waiting list Uh, with 100 150 people on our waiting list plus the 150 people we have living in the warehouse arts district probably have close to 100 people that would qualify for the 55 and older product so this is a, a product that's in very very high demand and we just need a little bit more help getting us over the over the Finish line here. Happy to answer any questions.
0: Okay, any questions about this project? Phil, you're good for a question? Oh, I'm always good for a question. (laughs) Okay.
4: Uh, And and this is probably semantics here, but. I mean, when I looked at the at the front end of the application, you seem to be indicating a wider demographic range than just 55-plus. So I'm a little confused. Maybe you could straighten that out for me. When you were checking boxes, it looked to me like it had families with minor children as well as workforce. Uh, so... I don't think I misread
10: it. I think on the on the New Hampshire Lofts project. I, I don't have the
4: actual. Yeah, I do. It's right here. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, what populations are will be served? Families with minors, low-income seniors, uh, others others than listed, veterans, and workforce. So.
10: Yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if that's something that didn't save properly from the East Heights Project coming over. What I will say is we've done four affordable senior projects. Some of our seniors do have children. Most, m- most of them do not. You know, 50, 55 and older, um, those aren't our requirements. Those are what's d- deemed as being senior. I, I don't think it's very senior myself. Uh, anymore but some of our our projects especially in southeast Kansas they do have families and so we might have checked that box um, just to make sure that everybody knows that we obviously will allow uh, children to live in our communities uh, so long that they meet the senior demographic, 55 and older. A lot of our seniors do have jobs or part-time jobs. Uh, some of our seniors uh, are veterans, but the unique thing about this project is, you know, we've stated in previous meetings is the the primary tenant um, is designated and needs to be 55 years of age or older.
4: Okay, just a confusing point. Okay, I got it. Thank you.
9: Uh, Tony, uh, could you remind me, did did you come to the PIRC, the Public Incentives Review Committee with this same proposal and, and what was the outcome of that um, and how is this, this is a three part question because I'm, I'm remembering now um, that meeting, but remind me the outcome of that meeting and how that, those incentives would be used for this project?
10: Yeah, um, we did go before PERC as well as the City Commission. Um, Both were unanimous votes in support of the project. Um, And uh, the dollars spent here uh, go to the construction costs uh, for the project. Um, Again, uh, $18,475,000, and all of the, the dollars will go towards the uses of funds of the project. Construction, architectural fees, soft costs, land acquisition, etc.
9: Thank you.
0: Right. Any other questions? Okay. Thank you, Tony. Thank you again for bringing another project. Yes. All right. Um, we have the next project is Florette Hill. Uh, LP. Uh, it's new, permanently affordable housing. And it's Kelsey. Herr, is that right? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Thank is
12: you, it Kelsey. on
1: the bottom here, Leah? It should be on the desktop. Do you
12: mind assisting me? <laughs> oh, of course. Since is you, you got it? yeah, you got okay, up. Call. You got up, so now I found it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Thank you guys for having us. I'm Kelsey Hare, a part of Wheatland Investment. And we are here. Oops.
4: I need to share your screen.
13: Okay. Over there.
4: Get
3: yeah. the Zoom box on your right. Close. Right here? Yep. Hit the arrow, box and the
14: arrow. There's the green button at the bottom says share screen. And the
4: one chairs.
12: So now you all know this is not my strong suit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Okay,
12: thank you so much. Um, As I said, I'm Kelsey Hare with Wheatland Investment Group. Uh, We're here today for uh, Floret Hill, an affordable housing uh, community. Um, Just to give you a recap, we've been before you before, but we are a um, development company out of Johnson County. Dave and Susie founded Wheatland Investments with the focus on real estate, property management, and affordable housing for seniors and families. Um, Myself, I'm actively on the board of Kansas Housing Association. And I serve on the KHRC Steering Committee for the annual conference. Uh, We are fully an integrated management and development company, and the team team brings a tremendous amount of knowledge to the industry. We believe that this... Floret Hill will be the fourth affordable housing development community Wheatland has brought into the city of Lawrence, but it will be the first on the west side. Wheatland has a strong relationship with the city of Lawrence, Kansas Housing Resource Corp, and the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. unit we will maintain for over 15 years Um, it is also going to be permanently affordable as and i'll get to that here in a second but i wanted to tell you it's located on the southeast corner of k10 and bob billings parkway it's approximately 14.5 acres and there'll be 121 affordable units our units will consist of one two and three bedrooms and we are applying for a 4% allocation through KHRC. All of our lender and investors have been identified and committed funds to the project, and we do believe that this addresses the strategic plan in increasing the affordability uh, housing. This is a site layout and amenities. Um, As you can see, we have a variation of different units. We've got some apartments, we've got some um, duplexes, and we have some... um, Am I moving the mouse? okay Okay. Um, uh, in our amenities that we will include are the community building and in that community building we will offer um, several different activities we'll have a picnic a playground area walking paths garages in unit washer dryers of the total 21, 121 units we'll have a breakdown of 12 units will be one bedrooms 71 will be two bedrooms and 38 will be three bedrooms Uh, we also have up in this corner here that commercial commercial piece. Uh, this population will serve 25 of our units will be dedicated to seniors only which will be 55 and older the rest of the population will be open to families Um, if I've learned anything from you all families is a very loose term so it could be a single person it could be a group of three it could be um, it's a very loose term so it's open to families our AMI targeting will be as follows four percent will be at thirty four units I apologize at thirty percent thirty three units at 40% and 84% at 60%. The range of our units will be based on a resident's income. So our one bedrooms can be anywhere from 478 all the way up to 1,000. The two bedrooms are 573 all the way up to 1212. And then the three bedrooms are 906 to 1398. We will also accept Section 8 vouchers for any and all residents that qualify and bring that to our project. This is just a typical floor plan. Um, We provided both the apartment, so that's on the left side, and then if it were the um, townhome, it's on the um, right that has the garage. That's the one bedroom, and I'll flip through these pretty quickly because you guys have this. Um, The two bedroom and the three bedroom. And then back to our community center. We um, currently have community centers in our senior projects and they get used all the time. We try really hard to outreach and work with different communities here in Lawrence. The local library loves bringing books to the complex so that the residents don't have to leave the site. They can literally walk to the community center. We have health care providers that come in and they provide us flu shot, COVID shot. They do palliative care, they do balance, they do Many exercise um, classes, nutrition education, and so much more. We have Meals on Wheels. We're also with tenants to homeowners. They come out and provide us education for tenants' rights, uh, credit counseling, and education for residents to eventually provide home ownership. We do financial aid, financial education, and then all of the fun stuff. The game days, the potlucks, the social time, the holiday parties, they love it all. And then our community center will also have an exercise room that is available for the residents 24-7. We really feel that Florette Hill solves a lot of the needs that you have asked us to address. Several of our units, uh, all of our units, will be affordable, but on the west side of town. We also have the different income levels within the one project, the rental and the home ownership, and then a variety of our residents being seniors, single residents, families. Uh, Florette Hill will also adhere to all fair housing while leasing and maintaining the project. Tenants to homeowners will also be building 12 to 14 family ownership units on this site. The plan is to provide them credit and first time home buyer education so that the residents can move into the home ownership. If the reason I said previously that this will be a permanently affordable, if Wheatland decides to sell the project after our tax credit compliance period, there is a buyout in place with tenants to homeowners as they are the landowner to maintain this project to, for it to become permanently affordable the value of the land donated to this project would be considered in the sales price to ensure that that affordability is maintained. I am open for any and all questions, hopefully. <laughs> I'm
0: going to open that up. If nobody has a question, I do. Okay, just one question on, uh, on the buyout at the end if tenants to homeowners were not in a position to buy the property what happens to the value of the land that they put into the project let's say you're you're at 30 years and you sell the project on the market
12: that's not how our um, that would not happen we are either going to continue to carry it as wheatland or we will um, work out a plan with tenants to homeowners we will not sell it out from tenants to homeowners so if they're not in a position hypothetically year 30 to purchase it Wheatland would continue to own that and maintain it as an affordable housing until potentially
3: tenants to homeowners was in maybe your question asked a different way is the value of the land that the the tenants to homeowners owns will it be protected in some form or fashion as this entity or this investment continues Right. They, they don't get gypped in the deal, right? Correct.
12: Okay. Correct, I would say yes. And the city and the city donated the land just for even additional, the city donated right. the land to Tennis. tenants, to homeowners. So there's a lot of, yeah, oh, yeah.
9: There's a lot of uh, encouragement for us to keep that. <laughs> <laughs> Got
15: it, yeah, okay.
9: Hi, I had a question. Under community engagement and increasing community awareness and engagement and partnerships in affordable housing, <laughs> uh, it states that you will be reaching a number. Uh, it says five hundred, and that's pretty pretty good one uh, to reach. Um, understanding this is also on the west side, and understanding there's you know there's a little bit of pushback to having that kind of uh, space available in that area um i'm assuming you're also utilizing a lot of tenants and homeowners for some of your community engagement so this is 500 people will be reached with your community engagement output how will you do that um, how will 500 individuals know that this is coming and be able to assess and give some kind of uh, feedback to this project in the west side sure
12: so we always do a um, neighborhood outreach we um, have our civil engineer assist us with that and we send out letters to everyone in that area Um, we will post it we will make sure that we get the blast out to as many people as we can to notify them of what we're doing and what our plans are we then hold an open neighborhood meeting I guess you could say where we would meet on site or meet similar um, and discuss any concerns they have if they hypothetically didn't want a playground then we would ask them what would they suggest in turn and we try to make it a partnership with the community we're moving into as you know we have uh, three other projects here and we've done pretty well in the neighborhoods that we've been in so we do try to become part of that community not just plopping in and saying we're here now
9: thank you yeah
4: Go ahead, Phil. Um, the uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand this. I had a difficult time reading your proposal. It really wasn't legible to me, but it might be my old eyes. Uh, question: The first question is, is tenants going to be responsible for the home ownership portion of this proposed project? Correct. And, and that equates to the duplex form? Correct. OK. Uh, Construction sequencing, just ballpark, I know it's wild and very early in the game, but are you talking about setting up the, the multi-unit apartment complex first and then at some point in the future, X number of years down the road, having the duplex portion of the thing put in place? I think we're
12: trying to do everything concurrent with each other. Um, while we have the subs and while we have people on site, uh, we are working very closely with tenants to homeowners so that while we have the uh, utilities and such being put in, that that happens for them too. So I do believe we're trying to do the whole thing all at once. Did that answer?
4: I could go
13: over. Okay. sure. Okay.
12: Yeah.
15: Okay.
0: So I have a question. You mentioned on the site plan that there's a commercial space. Yeah. Um, How? I guess how do you see that being used, and will the revenue generated by a commercial potential commercial lease there go back into the project, or does that? How does that work? I
12: think our um, vision for that would be maybe an urgent care or something of that nature, though Tony had a great idea of a child care, so I don't know, maybe that would work <laughs> in that spot. Um, but I think we're open to kind of anything we can get to that location, but I do, we would really like for it to benefit our residents. So an urgent care, um, something that sure. we're not gonna put a gas station.
11: Thank you. <laughs>
0: All right, anybody online there? I'm gonna look again.
9: I have one last question, okay, uh, right. just for clarity. Um, embedded in your diversity, equity, and inclusion policies, is this policy also uh, applicable to your main page? Anyone could find this and be able to access it, or is this something just for the application's purpose?
12: The Like the fair housing addendum, is that um, what you're referring to? I feel that's,
9: that's what I'm referring yeah. to, your application so, and non-discrimination statement.
12: Uh-huh. So we don't have that on our homepage, though that is in every single office. Um, everywhere that we have units, that is something that we hand all employees, and it is enforced. Um, we have the fair housing logo on our website, but not that entire statement, though that's a good suggestion. We could add that
9: thank you yeah
0: okay last
4: call here I have another one if I have time Uh, so if if you were gonna to to just wild guess uh, I mean assuming everything came together financially what would the 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 duration of the project be when would you expect to see units on the ground sure I
12: actually have a timeline
4: give me just a second to look
12: that up I'm thinking two probably 24 months from start to finish once we have funding in place and close
4: okay okay thank you
12: yeah
0: all right you've got about a minute to kind of wrap up if you want to say anything or you can i just would really
12: like to thank you all for your time i appreciate it
0: thank you for bringing an innovative project to us thank you all right we are running Amazingly, ten minutes ahead of schedule. (laughs) Um, I think we should just take like a three-minute break. Uh, If we're okay okay with that, take a three-minute, three to five-minute break. Be back here at quarter after. Uh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're unmuted.
15: Are
0: we on? Yeah. Alright, thank you for uh, allowing us to take that little break. Uh, we will start Smonte Monte Sokup, uh, Justice Matters, Affordable Housing Advisory Board. Uh, we will start up where we left off with Independence, Inc. Accessible Housing Program and Accessibility Modifications, and we have Daniel Brown, I believe. Yes, hi. Alright.
16: Um, Hello everybody, Uh, my name is Daniel Brown, Um, I'm the core service manager at Independence Incorporated and I'm the project manager for our accessible housing program. Um, Just to give you a quick overview, um, so our accessible housing program provides assistance to enable seniors and folks with disabilities uh, who are low to moderate income, make needed accessibility modifications to their homes. Um, The outcome for each of our project is to ensure access into and throughout the vital areas of their home. Um, Typically what that means is um, accessible entrance into the home and also access into and and use of the bathroom um, and sometimes a a bedroom as well on the main level. Uh, We do a funding cap of $10,000 per project. Uh, Most of our projects come in um, well underneath that. Um, our program is open to both renters and homeowners Um, all of our projects uh, for all of our projects we use a qualified local contractor uh, who has a lot of experience doing accessibility modifications Um, and this program in its current form has been in existence for the past four years um, that we've received trust funds Um, so why is the program needed Um, so we feel that there's not enough um, affordable and accessible housing in the area to meet demand Um, The senior population is only expected to increase in our area, um, which will just increase demand for accessible um, and affordable housing options here in Lawrence. Um, Also many of the affordable housing options that are existing today uh, have a tendency to be some of the least accessible, uh, particularly older homes, older apartment complexes, um, trailer homes, et cetera. Um, And home modifications can be difficult to afford for folks, um, and there are just few resources that assist with this type of thing. So how does our program work um so we do have uh, a process where we screen applicants for eligibility Um, They're required to submit an application um, and proof of income. Um, We try to keep our program as low barriers as absolutely possible, so we just require the minimal amount of information for reporting purposes and and to determine eligibility um, financially. Um, After we've screened an an applicant to make sure that they're eligible, um, we meet with them in the home, discuss accessibility issues and concerns that they're having, um, and really just determine exactly what work they're needing to have done on their house. Um, once we've decided that based off that meeting um, we create bid specs communicate with our contractor who also goes out to the home to meet with the client Um, once those bid specs are returned um, sometimes there's a little bit of back and forth uh, but eventually the go-ahead's given Um, once work's completed on the project uh, we then go back out meet with the, the client in their home make sure the modification is working for them um, and they're satisfied with it Um, on the rare instance that we do need to have the contractor go back out to make an adjustment we do have the contractor do that and then we follow up with the client afterwards Um, once we've ensured that the modification um, is safe and it's functional for the client then we pay the contractor Um, Types of modifications we previously provided for this program includes uh, ramps which is what most people think of when you think of home modifications. We also get a lot of requests for accessible showers, um, grab bars, handheld shower heads, Um, Accessible toilets, those are toilets that are a little bit higher off the ground than a standard toilet. They're easier to get um, on and off of um, and to transfer to from a wheelchair. Uh, Low rise steps, we don't get a lot of requests for those, but we have done a couple. Um, Accessible sinks, those are sinks that a wheelchair can actually go underneath. And widening doorways for wheelchair and walker access. So as I said, this. Program as is has been in existence for the past four years. Um, during that time, we've completed 28 projects. Um, you can see those projects on this map. Um, as you can see, they're relatively widely dispersed around the city. Um, some of those blue little dots actually indicate multiple projects because they indicate a, a trailer park or, or potentially a, um, an apartment complex or something like that. Um, grab bars, accessible showers and ramps for the most requested accessibility modification that we get. Um, the vast majority of the households that we're serving are well under 30% median household income for the area. Uh, we've served a wide range of folks. Um, we, um, as, as low as two years of age and as high as 95 years of age. Um, we've done modifications for single family houses, um, apartments, duplexes, fourplexes, townhomes and trailer homes. Um, so, as far as this year, um, what we've done with the, the funding that we were awarded for 2023, we have completed 10 projects as of, as of today. Um, accessible showers were the most requested modification this year. Um, in fact, half of the projects we completed were accessible showers. Uh, multifamily housing was the most modified, followed closely by single-family homes. Uh, 70% of households served were 40% AMI. Uh, average age um, head of household was 62 years of age. And the majority of households served had a female head of household. Um, so program status for the rest of the year from here going forward. Um, so we currently have five applicants that have been screened as eligible. Um, and we have one project currently in progress. Um, however, we are nearing the end of our awarded trust funds for, for, for this year. Um, we have enough funding to complete the project that's in progress right now. And potentially one more project probably Um, but after that we'll probably need to establish a waiting list um, of some kind Um, for the the applicants we have currently already screened and if there's any other applicants we get between now and the end of the year um, would probably need to go on a waiting list as well Um, and and that's the rationale for us requesting some additional funding this year Um, typically we requested fifty thousand dollars this year we are requesting seventy five thousand, dollars and it's specifically to address um, the waiting list that we will probably have by the end of the year um so in closing uh we feel this uh the goal of our program is very much in line with the goals of the affordable housing trust fund and that it increases the amount of affordable and accessible housing stock in the area Uh, the program has been successful in allowing program participants to maintain safe and affordable housing Um, and with the funding that we've requested we can continue to make this program a success Um, and that is all that i have so i'm happy to answer any questions anyone might have
0: Right. Thank you, Daniel. We'll um, uh, open that up for questions.
9: I have a question. Hi, Daniel. Um, um, In the past, uh, well, last year, um, I recognized there was some data that reflected the majority. The majority of the homes that you were um, helping to make improvements were mobile homes. Um, uh, I may not be correct on that, but it was last year. Uh, I'm just looking at maybe understanding of is there a projected repeat of the population served um, being those who live in mobile or use mobile homes?
16: Um, I think you're right. I know last year, I believe we did serve a number of mobile homes. Um, This year, I believe we just served one. So one mobile home, I believe we did a couple of uh, maybe three duplexes, a fourplex, an apartments in a large apartment complex, and then the rest were single family homes
9: so the projected number that you have i I noticed that you said you had a list or you had some folks who were you know currently waiting to be served uh with these improvements made um are those without giving specifics um those are are those people who are living in duplexes or people who are living in homes or is that mobile home um folks as well
16: um i don't I don't believe any of those are mobile homes. Okay. Um, I, the, the project we have going on right now that's in process is a mobile home. I don't believe the other five are. Okay. Thank you. Sure.
0: Other questions? I have a couple. Um, so you said that the majority. Chairman, we've got somebody oh. up. Erica. Oh, go, go, Erica.
11: <coughs>
1: America Zimmerman, Lawrence Habitat. I actually have two, but I'll ask
12: one, and then if there's time, I'll ask the other one. Um, Daniel, could you talk to us just a little bit about the process of working with um, landlords in your rental program space
1: and um, how you get that permission and what happens if that permission isn't granted? Okay,
16: yeah, sure. Um, So on the application, if it specifically asks are you a renter or are you a homeowner if you're a renter then there's a section on the application that requires them to go to their landlord um, and have the landlord sign off that they're um, agreeing to the modification that we're making it's rare i don't i can't think of an instance where we've had a landlord say no you can't do that it also says on there that's part of fair housing law um if the landlord did say no you can't do that we would probably do some advocacy at that point and in, in, in informing the landlord of what landlord tenant law would be in um and, and under fair housing that a person with a disability has the legal right to request a, a modification um that you know at their own expense or the expense of a program that can pay for it um but yeah i can't i can't I don't. I can't recall a situation where a landlord said no um, after they were asked. We have assisted um, tenants in making the request. Sometimes tenants um, don't want to approach their landlord to to ask, so we've helped them make the request, um, and it's it's not been an issue. Most are pretty happy to do so, particularly since they're not paying for it. We're we're offering to pay for it. So,
13: thank you. Sure.
0: Okay. So you on your, in your report, you said you handle mostly people with 30% AMI or below. Do you actually income qualify folks or is that just a more of a generalization?
16: No, no, we income qualify folks. So, um, uh, I don't have the information in front of me, but I can tell you specifically in each category who, but yeah, just the, ma- the majority are 30% below this past year was the majority were 40% and below, but everybody has to be 80% or below, um, the, most aren't getting close to that 80%.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Sure. Okay. Any others? Do you want a minute or so to close or you?
16: I have nothing else to say. Just thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> to your, your, your thank you. Your for,
0: yeah. Thank you for having run this program for the last four years. Um, yeah. It's a great program. So thank you, Daniel. Thank you. All right. Uh, the next. Uh, <laughs> Kind of. Uh, presentation is Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority, New Horizon Projects. It's a housing vouchers. And I'm probably going to butcher this. Galal Obdeed. You got
15: it. <laughs> okay. I knew I had the Galal oh. part right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, my name is Galal Obade. I am with the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority. I currently serve as the vice president for program operations Uh, And I'm here to talk about our new Horizon application. So I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen. I have a short presentation available. You able to see that, Leah? Great. So, uh, the New Horizon program was developed at the request of the city and the county back in 2016. Uh, The program uh, goal was to offer housing solutions that are quick to families facing homelessness. And so compared to our other programs, New Horizon uh, is still able to continue to meet that need uh, by reducing wait time for families uh, down to one to three months, compared to six to eight months with our other transitional programs and 12 to 18 months in our general housing program. So this program uh, offers housing assistance to the families that are guests of the Lawrence Community Shelter or Family Promise of Lawrence for 24 months. Uh, the funds that are requested would house about two to three households, uh, on average 8 to 12 individuals. Um, And with this program, uh, 24 months of case management is required by the referral agency or an agreed upon uh, partner agency that LDCHA works with as well. Um, So the families are uh, required to continue to receive case management for 24 months uh, and then they're up for um, uh, transferring to a permanent housing choice voucher. So in working closely with the LCS and Family Promise, um, we're able to have really high success rate um, compared to uh, national average when it comes to transitional housing. Uh, We're currently administering 83 uh, 83 transitional vouchers across our different transitional programs. Uh, Twelve of them are specific to the New Horizons program. Since 2016, the program has served 39 families. 143 individuals, 95 which are children, 54% of the families identify as BIPOC, 64% have been single moms, uh, and the New Horizon program has a success rate of 79%. Meaning that after 24 months of transitional housing, these families are receiving a permanent housing choice voucher that will remain with the family for as long as they need it and meet program requirements. 87% of the families that have been served uh, are in zero to 30% AMI. So we are serving the highest need. Um, let's see. And what makes the funds very valuable is that not only are we able to quickly house these families and uh uh, uh, get them into homes these funds create a pathway to permanent housing uh, assistance and um, with that we'll be able to take any questions
0: thank you glow questions
4: i have Go Bill I have the same question that I had with the earlier service and assistance program and that is could you explain to me how persons with previous history of incarceration, uh, are they eligible for these transitional vouchers and if so, what is their pathway towards a more permanent uh, housing voucher arrangement? Um,
15: so LDCHA is a uh actually moving to reducing the criminal background, like, look back period uh, to try to make the housing a little bit more accessible. So two areas in which LDCHA is unable to uh, accept someone into housing is if they're on the national sex offender list uh, or they have been um, uh, committed uh, the uh, production and distribution of methamphetamines. In terms of criminal background, we have a three-year look back um, into uh, um, drug and uh, violent uh, criminal activity. But we do work with the partner agencies to identify to look at if these households have been through any programming uh, that is going to ensure their stability moving forward. We look at their stability plan for housing. Um, So we do offer hearings to the families that are denied because of the criminal activity um, so that we are able to assess whether their uh, plan is able to make them more successful in maintaining their housing.
4: Okay, thank
15: you.
9: Hi Galal, Uh, this is Christina Gentry. I wanted to just commend the numbers. Um, Eighty-seven percent of families that you've served, and then the data that you have also shared with us is pretty significant. Um, Seventy-nine percent of the success rate for New Horizons is, is also pretty significant significant, uh, but tell me about the 21% that is not successful, and what does that entail? What does n- no success look like uh, for, for this program? Um,
15: that could mean that the family does not maintain uh, terms of the lease with their landlord. Um, um, it could mean that the um, it has led to an eviction or that the family is no longer willing to participate in case management. Um, those would be two of the major reasons that individ- that households are uh, considered to have not been successful. Um, there's a lot of energy that's put in from the case managers uh, and while communicating with LDCHA uh, to try to keep these families housed. But it does happen uh, uh, that some people either remove themselves from case management or uh, face other barriers within their lease terms.
9: And and this is an addition to that. As we heard about the Housing Stabilization Coordination, or sorry, HSC. I'm just going to leave that acronym there. Mm -hmm. Um, Would that be something that future to increase that number of success? Would would that be looking like uh, working with the eviction diversion coordinator that is new to the uh, court systems? Um, Is that something that would be you collaborate with? I'm sorry.
15: No, absolutely. I think, that, I think those are going to be great programs. Uh, we've also been utilizing the mediation group for tenants and landlords to help create solution with landlords and tenants to maintain their housing. Our, our goal is to obviously make sure that all the participants that come through the program are successful and become uh, eligible for that permanent voucher. So we, we do work very closely with the partner agencies uh, and try and maintain those uh, households house.
9: Thank you.
0: OK, other questions? All right, uh, Galal, if you want to wrap up, you got a minute or so. And doesn't look like we have any
15: more questions. Um, yeah, I think it's just uh, valuable to uh, just reiterate that these funds are not only housing families facing homelessness quickly, uh, they're also offering that pathway to permanent housing assistance. And so I think it's a, a, one of the great solutions for what the city is needing to do uh, in addressing affordable housing needs. And I appreciate your time.
0: Thank you. Thank you for bringing a proposal. All right. Next we have Ninth Street Missionary Baptist Church. Called the Hope Project New Permanently Affordable uh, Transitional Housing with Support. Takesha Derrick. Did I say that right? Yes. Okay, great.
13: All right, where's.
1: All right. We just started. We on our end. This is stuff. Yeah, um if you could share the screen. Oh share. Yeah. Is. <laughs> uh, is
13: it? A more and share screen.
1: Wrong. No. You got
17: it.
13: Yay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Good oh, morning. <laughs> Um,
0: almost afternoon
13: okay. sorry about that let me enable it okay good morning I am Taquisha Darren. I am the chair of the hope project for Ninth Street Missionary Baptist Outreach Center we are so excited to be here um, to present our project to you all and um, I just have a few things that I want to share with you okay <laughs> All right. 9th Street has been in existence for 160 years here in this community, this wonderful community of Lawrence, Kansas. Um, We were founded by an organization from Boston to help establish the Kansas territory to one day become a free state. In 1998, the 9th Street Missionary Baptist Church purchased our outreach center, which we have been utilizing around this community for many, many years. Um, It was established exclusively for charitable, religious, educational, and literacy purposes as a not-for-profit organization serving the Lawrence community. We specifically provide programs and services in the relie- in the form of relief to the poor, the distressed and underprivileged, community supports for food and clothing, affordable housing for families involved in the Family Promise Program, advancement of religion and education, lessening the burdens of government, and eliminating prejudice and discrimination, defending human and civil rights secured by law and combating community deterioration and juvenile delinquency. We also partner with justice matters to get some of this stuff resolved for us 9th Street Outreach Center has been working closely as a key partner with Family Promise of Lawrence since they opened in 2008. Our Outreach Center is planning to construct six additional units to the existing apartments that we are currently being used by Family Promise for temporary supportive housing. Our plan is to add two additional units to the current fourplex that they're uh, currently using, one unit being ada compliant the other four units will be an additional fourplex building in the current parking lot and i want to show you guys here um, off to the side on the right left hand side is the blue Uh, fourplex that we currently have. This building in the middle, the green, is the Day Center. All of these properties are owned by Ninth Street Missionary Baptist Outreach Center. They currently house all of the office space for um, Family Promise for their Day Center, for them to do all of their transactions. They have, um, the Day Center is there for the families to come and use if they want to wash their clothing, if they want uh, financial literacy classes, cooking classes, everything is there for them centrally located in the, all their case managers which I have a wonderful case manager here Miss Venetia Hazel from Family Promise they have the opportunity to have their case managers right there on the site right across the street is the fourplex like I stated and right next to it on the opposite side is our outreach center we have been housing Family Promise families in that center for a long time since 2008 we've been partnering with them um, they utilize our office space for their Christmas giveaways for um, interviewing everything so we have been uh, collaboration for a while so we are very excited to um, present six more units for them on our property that we already own so Currently, you'll see the uh, next. You'll see the existing fourplex is highlighted in the purplish pink, and then the proposed twoplex and fourplex is highlighted in orange for you all to see how we want to build those structures on our property. And then this is just a layout plan because you know you want to have all that stuff so you can be prepared, you know. <laughs> so our architects have been working. <laughs> all right. In addition to the Ninth Street Outreach um, center, Outreach Center, we have partnered with Family Promise, like I stated, on there for the congregational support um, of rotating their um, what is it called uh, the rotation? I forgot what it's called. But anyway, they live at our our buildings basically. <laughs> I like to make it plain. <laughs> they, live, they live in our buildings rotating and we um, interchange with other churches here in the community. So We normally have between um, two to four of the families they rotate in our outreach center. We also provided um, shelter for the emergency winter shelter over the last couple of years. We They house the families of Lawrence because um, they couldn't be with the regular community. They would house them at our outreach center from 2,000 two 21 and 22 we did the emergency shelter program for that Um, so those additional new apartments will not only meet the need to keep the community affordable but address the issues furthering racial equity as well for housing because we do know that there is um, a need here in this community to have more racial equity housing okay and Family Promise is definitely meeting that need I'm gonna let Venicia take it away.
17: I'm Venicia, Director of Family Services and Programming at Family Promise, and this slide is just showing the demographics that we've had since 2011. So, we've served um, our largest population, serves our single female led households and BIPOC populations, which are well over the census demographics for our local community. Um, and so, based on these served by FPL Annual, the use of the units are a big benefit because we're able to have people housed there in a permanent sector for at least up to a year in that, those housing solutions because they have children and we do serve below the EMI or disproportional households. Um, this is the programming that we serve. So, I serve from prevention, diversion, shelter, stabilization, and like she mentioned before, 15 years of serving in Douglas County. Um, we have to date served more than 1,700 families within the 15 years of being here, and we really do enjoy the partnership we do have with Nine Street because we're allowed to show and be flexible with the families that we're serving um, in, with housing. And so, the current use of the four apartments owned by 9th Street has been very impactful because, like I said, if they have housing vouchers, they can stay there and create rental history. They can do things where they can be for within a year to establish themselves further into the community um, and be, ample, be impactful to their
13: own permanency as they graduate out of programming. I'll click it for you. All right. Um, our plan is to start this program um, and we have about a 24 month turnaround that we want to kind of target. We have um, several different partners that want to do in-kind donations for this project as well. So with the support uh, from you all, we'll be able to further assist the economy with affordable housing for those families. We'll also be able to bring hope by assisting with making it accessible for our BIPOC community. With your support, I already said that. <laughs> <laughs> I made a cute little slide with houses on it. So I doubled that. But anyway, you guys see that. <laughs> All right, that's the end of my presentation. Any questions that you guys might have for us? All
3: right. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. Have- Have you submitted a site plan to the city as yet?
13: We have not. What we did is we got our own site plan. um, We got that taken care of already. We submitted um, the plans to Architect for drawing that up. We were waiting on the city because we have to combine the lots because we want to be able to make all of that area one, one lot. So right now, we're, for instance, our outreach center, we're putting on a ramp for ADA compliance. So And they told us that the ramp is going to go into the area with the 9th Street out, uh, excuse me, with the um, day center. So we have to combine that. So that's the reason why we haven't did it yet, but that is on the agenda.
3: You've talked to them about. Oh yeah, we've been in several meetings
13: with the city. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes. Mm
9: -hmm. Any additional questions? Questions. Um, Hi. Hi, Christina Gentry, uh, Family Promise graduates. Yes, (laughs) I am too, Christina. Okay. (laughs) Here we're we're in the building. Awesome. Yes, we're in the building. We're in the building. Um, Is Hope an acronym? Hope is not an acronym okay. Hope is something
13: that Takisha just thought of at one moment because honestly I, like like Christina just shared she is uh, she's went through the program before I lost my home in 2011 family promise saved my life with me and my children we were homeless okay I, this program, I am detrimentally just, I, I just love this program. My pastor does anything that we need for Family Promise because of that partnership. So just like Christina sitting here, I have a full-time job, I own my business, I do everything in this community to make sure the Family Promise is good. <laughs> so it just brings hope. I love the word hope because it just, you know, it's just reflective of how, God, how good God is to me.
9: Thank you.
4: Yeah, Phil. I I have a question and that is uh I know it's difficult to envision but if you were only awarded a partial set of funds, you know, how, how would how could you envision that? would impact your schedule or even your ability to move forward on the project?
13: Well, it would definitely impact us um, because we definitely want to be able to provide this within those 24 months. We are contingent upon this grant. However, we are applying for additional grants. We have applied for the home grant as well, and we have in-kind donations as well um, from several contractors and everything that want to help us do this project because they believe in hope as
9: well. Okay, thanks. Right. No Thank problem. You. I've got one more question. Yeah, go I ahead. know that we are, no, go ahead. we are at some time. Um, uh, under the, the inquiry about uh, how this project would incorporate trauma-informed policies and trauma-informed services, there wasn't an answer. Could you give me an answer? You seem to be very much prolific in like what... what the outcome of, of having hope and bringing that is but what is from a trauma informed lens what does that hope look like for this, that this project? project where
13: we partner with family promise because <laughs> they are the ones that's doing that engineering already they have a wonderful program already designed for this community and has been very impactful so Benicia can tell you all about that trauma
17: <laughs> so for um, well I'll just start from the beginning so we know shelter is a traumatic experience so we just start from that belt that beginnings phase so in order to reduce the trauma having families just enter into their own spaces where they can have their home setting kind of keep going with some of and then like injecting skills like so we do the financial literacy we do the keys to get tenancy so the program side of things is very trauma informed because we're trying to reduce the initial trauma of having to enter shelter space. So you're entering into a home where you will have case management come to you, resources will come to you in those specifics. And we already do this. These are, this is, what we'll just add to it so we can serve more um, families in the community. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, any other questions? All right, we'll give you a minute or so to wrap up.
13: I'm done. <laughs> Spread hope,
4: But <laughs> you your smile spreads hope.
0: That's
13: right.
15: you.
0: Thank you. Great. I can okay.
4: More questions. Okay. Yes. Uh, did maybe I misunderstood? But is the typical duration of stay one year? Yes. Okay. That. Yes. that okay. It is. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Thank you for bringing us this project to consider.
1: Thank you both, Mr. Chair. This yes. is Leah Rosalind. if I could just um, make a clarifying comment really briefly that um, they did submit a complete application that because the application is for development as opposed to social services, they weren't required to complete the social services um, worksheet that asks a question about trauma-informed care. So I just wanted to make that clear to the board that the application was complete and they required all the, uh, completed all the required questions for their project.
13: Can I make one more?
1: You got a minute. One
13: minute? Okay, I got one minute. Um, so, in, in regards to what Leah said as well, um, one thing that we wanted to make sure that you all knew about is that we wanted to maintain this affordable housing by partnering with Family Promise or Tenants to Homeowners. So, the land that we own is ours. However, those buildings or and the land also will always remain affordable housing. We're going to enter a contract with them and let them know that if we we ever decide to sell this we've been here 160 years but if we ever decide to sell the property it will automatically be given to family promise or tenants to homeowners for them to purchase the property and we will also enter into um, a lifetime I think it was like 99 years or something like that contract with them so they know that they always have a place
0: thank you thanks
13: yeah
0: all right we're gonna move on to our Final presentation, the Prime Company, it's the Eastbrook Apartments Project, a uh, new 30-year affordable housing. And this Chris Elsay, Elsie? That's right, yep, got it. Okay, thanks, Chris.
9: Slideshow.
14: Oh, where's it at? Where it oh. out? There we go. Okay,
5: so... <laughs> that?
14: Okay, and then do I need to share my screen to please. Yes, please.
3: Uh, <laughs> I just about the green at the bottom, share.
14: Help me out here. Green button at the bottom. There we go. Okay. (laughs) Yep, that's it. Okay. Okay there we go. Okay well I'm the steward or own, my name Chris Elsie. I'm the steward or owner of the Prime Company. Um, our company motto is love thy neighbor and our mission statement is to honor Jesus Christ through real estate. Those are some of the folks that uh, I have the privilege of working with. Uh, We're a vertically integrated uh, development company, so we've got our own 15 staff in-house architecture team, so we do all the architecture work. Uh, We also self-perform as our own general contractor, and we also have our own uh, property management company. Uh, We're based over uh, in Manhattan, Kansas, so you'll have to forgive me for that. I'm a (laughs) Wildcat grad, uh, but we do development in all four time zones and those are some of the areas we're developing Um, kind of another aspect of our management philosophy is we have uh, resident life which is similar Uh, it's basically developed to help uh, foster community amongst our residents and i think through covid one of the things that we really picked up on is that uh, people are just need to be in relationship with one another and so you can kind of think of it as like a cruise director or an ra or a house mom or dad at a fraternity or sorority or like a senior center director but basically uh, their sole focus is to help develop community amongst our residents and we've found that when our residents have friends they are uh, a lot happier and desire to be there and tell other people about the community and so some these are some of the events that we have done with that kind of moving into the specific project um, it's a 16 acre track um, out there on 15th Street on East 15th Um, it is within the city limits Uh, it's currently unimproved it is within a qualified census tract which is obviously very important for the affordable housing component as you drive by it now you'll probably maybe recognize it there there's a uh, like a lift station there uh, from the street but it's pretty heavily wooded um, on both sides there uh, of kind of that central drainage basin Um, and so our proposal that we're focusing on is just going to be on the western portion of the property We did conduct a neighborhood meeting here at the end of August, and some of the feedback we got from that was to increase the setbacks, decrease the density, and we had uh, access from the south um, into the existing neighborhoods. And so I've kind of got a graphic there um, on the right-hand side there. So our original proposal, we had proposed 288 units we reduced that to 192 units Uh, we basically increased uh, we put a this we basically moved the structures that were kind of in this area adjacent to the single family uh, neighborhood to the south and to the west and took those out and this is over like a uh, i believe it's like an 85 foot current buffer And so our hope is there i mean it's currently pretty heavily wooded as to just keep the existing uh, tree stand basically around the property we will be offering uh, one two and three bedroom uh, units here's our targeted rental rates Uh, as far as project timeline um, we would uh, submit for application uh here and then we're probably looking at around a two-year construction time frame uh, for the 120 or 192 units and again we would be self-performing that and acting as the general contractor on that uh total development cost would be around 55 million here's just some we haven't settled quite yet on our design I guess inspiration, but here's uh, it is their three story kind of walk up. Uh, we are going to have a community center that will have a pool, uh, workout facility, and then uh, like a business center um, for the residents. And yeah, I'm here to answer any other additional questions you would have.
0: All right, I'm going to open that up. Thank you, Chris. Open that up for questions.
4: Okay. uh what I know we, we sometimes dwell on this to the exclusion of of all other important things but how, how do your projected uh, market or your your projected rental rates relate to air, to the to the ami percentages um, we are at uh, between
14: 50 and 70 percent ami. Um, I believe I have 153 units at 80% AMI. At, at what percentage? I'm sorry. Uh, 80% AMI. Okay. And then uh, 38 units at 20% AMI.
4: So you have 153 at 80%. And 38 at 20%. And 38 at
14: 20%. Okay. okay. Oh, go ahead, Mark. I- but
10: it's Mark Moke, um also the prime company on the affordable housing director. Um, we have uh, basically a hundred and it's a little different than that. Um, it is one hundred and fifty-three units at the fifty percent AMI level, and then seventy percent uh, or thirty-eight units at the seventy percent level. So just kind of a eighty percent of the units are at the fifty percent level, and then twenty percent of the units are at the seventy percent AMI level.
4: Throwing around That's, a lot of percentages here, Chief. Uh, <laughs> 153 yeah, at 50%? At 50%. Okay. 38
0: at 70%. Okay, thir- and 38
10: so
14: is- we kind of flip- Mark, can you just repeat that? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just-
10: yeah, I'll go through one more time. So 153 units at the 50% AMI level, and then 38 units at the 70% AMI level. Okay, thanks. Absolutely.
0: I got a lot of questions. Yeah, go ahead. Ask another question. Okay.
4: An- another question that I have is, where do you perceive, how do you perceive the external infrastructure on this development? Where, I mean, looking at it from an engineering perspective, I mean, do you expect there to be a lot of additional external infrastructure required in order for this project to move forward?
14: well one of the good things is is uh the city we've actually had preliminary discussions with the city and gone through a pre-application meeting and so the city's um new facility management facility is going to be out basically just east of the property on 15th and so we're able to kind of piggyback on some of those uh, upgrades to 15th street and then as well as some of those site utilities and so i um, kind of pressing my memory here, but I believe the water line is getting um, uh, upsized on that and then also uh, the right of, there will be right-of-way improvements um, on 15th Street going out to that uh, city facility and we will obviously help be a, a benefactor of that and potentially share in some of those development costs as well about on the sewage side Uh, there this there is uh, there is that lift station there that you actually see and so the sewage capacity is uh, we've had preliminary discussions with the city engineer and the sewage capacity uh, is actually already in place and uh, sufficient okay thanks Hmm.
0: may else Looking online here. So, you've heard probably all of us have this discussion about permanent affordability, 30-year light tech projects. Is there a mechanism by which this could become permanently affordable? Uh, Mark,
14: maybe you can comment on that, but um, I believe we were just planning on it being 30-year.
10: 30 years is what the current underwriting supports. There's always new funding programs that become available later. Our intention is to keep it permanently affordable, um, but the flexibility allows us to kind of underwrite and and kind of have a financially feasible project that we can get a tax credit investor to invest in.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Any more? all right well thank thank you for your time appreciate it thank you for bringing us this project all right that concludes our presentations i've got my agenda here uh i'm not going to read you the upcoming events on the calendar but they are on the calendar on the agenda to help uh guide um we obviously have uh scoring to do and scoring to return and that was in an email a very nice email that leah sent out to us so if you have questions about when things are due or anything like that um i don't have any further comments from the board Uh, have comment
6: uh, yeah Sarah waters mr chair i think you were going to also just talk about how next week's meeting structure is going to go when we come back to discuss in that special meeting because no scores are due yet and so we were going to give equal time i believe yeah next week to go
0: through each proposal yeah so just as thank you for reminding me of that sarah <laughs> um next week we basically have two hours to go over these same projects so we're going to have kind of the same forced march if you will <laughs> of about 15 minutes per project to talk these or maybe 10 minutes per project and then a wrap-up session So we're gonna be, there's just a lot to go through. So I encourage you to have your uh, thoughts and comments collected um, so we can have kind of a concise discussion um, and and your scoring then. Did that pick it up, Sarah?
6: Yeah, I think, uh, like what we'd like to, and just to be able to get any clarifications out there um, so that from a consistency standpoint, we know in the past sometimes, We all interpret things a little bit differently so if you could try to do the work and again it takes a lot of time um to just see what questions you have on the scoring matrix and things and ask them next week then we all be hopefully setting our scores or setting our scores in with kind of same understanding moving forward um and so we we know when we've had past conversations um, about scoring that there felt like people were coming out of from different directions so the next monday's meeting is about trying to get us all kind of at least in the same book not in the same chapter um so that we can um be a little bit more consistent um as we understand some really incredible proposals here and what we're going to do because this is going to be really really challenging i think for all of us to mm-hmm. ultimately make decisions so
0: yeah
5: i think dana's got her hand up too monty oh go ahead dana yeah thank you uh just a clarification question since uh shannon and i have recused ourselves there's been conversations about people recusing themselves, but be available for these kinds of meetings, such as next weeks to ask, uh, offer any clarifications of what's going on in our community, not on any project in specific. So I'm not sure what what the right thing to do is for Shannon and I and really need some extra guidance on that, please.
0: Okay. I don't know that I have any guidance on that. We may have to ask the city's council on what's allowable and what's not. Mr. Chairman, I think I
3: want to ask the question, what's what's the safest place for them in this? Yeah, I'd love to be able to ask an expert, but the safest place for them might to be to be silent. I don't know.
1: This is Leah Roseland, affordable housing administrator. Since um, there's a conflict of interest with the applications, then you would need to recuse yourself from the conversation regarding the applications, including if that conversation goes to community need, um, since it's in the context of discussing the project applications and funding that that would also need to be a part of your recusal. So um, similar to today, you're certainly welcome to log in and mark yourself present for role if if you choose and then log off and listen in for the rest of the meeting, but you'd need to recuse yourself from conversation.
5: Okay. So Leah, would, you, would it be acceptable if someone has a question about, let's say how many people are on my waiting list or how many or that type of thing? If we communicate that, like, to, if someone has that question, if we communicate it to you, cannot be about anybody's project or how many disabled people need, you know, I mean, there are very specific things that I think would be wrong, but if you just need information, if, if you ask Leah and we can just give her the information, perhaps, that somebody wants um, before the meeting so that we're not doing some weird Comprom- participating in the middle of the meeting
0: so at the beginning of this meeting I said you could ask questions of you know about the applications and whatnot until tomorrow maybe we need to extend that to maybe the Friday before our Monday meeting so this Friday so if you are going through your applications you could submit a question to Leah and then Leah can get the answer and distribute it to everyone does that make sense of the applicants. Friday
4: is the deadline for that Friday would be the
0: deadline since we're meeting the following Monday to have okay really to formulate discussion and recommendations so
1: Mr. Chair if the deadline is going to be extended until Friday it would need to be Friday morning so that the applicants can have time to respond before the Monday (laughs) meeting.
4: Yeah, it's a pretty tight timeline.
1: Yeah.
4: OK. Thursday
0: midnight. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. Thursday midnight. <laughs> midnight. Right, have your questions to Leah, then she right. will we have Friday morning. Submitted at
3: 11.59 Thursday should
0: not be answered. <laughs> Let's not get into that voting. She can answer it People Friday. People have problems. <laughs> it gives all day Friday, which is still tight, but at least a, a day. Okay.
1: Looks like Dana has her hand up.
0: OK. And there's a hand up. any other comments there's a hand up there's a hand up oh Lee, Oh, Thanks. dana
5: this is another clarification and uh mark i appreciate you reframing that question that's a good way to put it too um but the, my clarification back to us attending and what shannon recommended if there was a question that is just common knowledge for somebody like shannon or i that would help Clarify something in discussion next week uh, Sarah and I have talked a couple times About some information From people that had been recused That is common knowledge That kind of led to what Sarah's question was About inconsistencies So I would like to consider something Like Shannon suggested Where we are not allowed to comment But if there's a question We could somehow get that answer Next week to through Leah But of course we can't comment on projects that we're involved with or anything like that, that completely makes 100% sense to me. But what doesn't make sense to me is the common understanding of communities, opportunities that exist right now, things that are ongoing. I don't wanna lose that with an opportunity for this team to make consistent decisions on projects, especially the caliber of projects that are on the plate this year.
1: This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Dana, if there are specific data points that you think would be beneficial to give to the board and want to write those up, I'm happy to distribute those. Um, And then I know that it's, you know, weighing, it would weigh a lot on Erica, but she could also provide that perspective, as could Christina. Um, So I would say that in that instance, We'll need to rely on colleagues to get that information in the meeting itself if new questions do come up
0: all right any other questions comments with that we are adjourned thank you
6: thank you <laughs> uh, really